0: So my guest today has taught the ancient Chinese skill of face reading since 1985. He is now focused on presenting it as a tool for creating exceptional relationships in business. Having taught and honed his techniques over more than 35 years, my guest has developed a mastery of observational skills. He now combines face reading with FBI techniques from the worlds of body language, interrogation and negotiation, and helps with the understanding that the mind, body, and spirit are inseparably connected.
1: Welcome to the show, Joseph McGuire. Thank you very much, John. Delighted to be here.
0: Uh, that was a very brief introduction about you. If you can tell the listeners a bit more about yourself, what you do, how you help, etc., that'd be great.
1: Okay. Well, firstly, I'm uh, I'm Irish. I'm living in Dublin. I have lived in uh, other many other places, several other countries, and I will live in other places and other countries in the future. I uh, see myself as a, a global citizen, and um, I love to immerse myself in different cultures and languages. And as you mentioned, I've been working particularly with the, the ancient Chinese uh, skill of reading faces for since well, since nineteen. I've been teaching it since nineteen eighty five. I I came across and I was introduced to it back in 1981 when I lived in London. I trained in a branch of oriental medicine, so I was introduced to it as a diagnostic tool initially. Mm-hmm. But I had been reading people since I was a small child, and this gave me – I just intuitively knew stuff about people, men in particular – because men are simple, straightforward creatures, <laughs> even if many women don't believe it.
0: <laughs> don't, don't give that away. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, this was like just light bulbs flashing everywhere when I was introduced to this. And I immersed myself in it. And I I learned that uh, the in, in China, they've been using it in business and politics for at least 3,000 years, as well as medicine. Oh, wow. So, their understanding was that our personality is revealed in our static facial features. Um, so we can, we just from looking at a, like just even looking at a, a good photograph, we can tell a lot about the person's uh, communication style, both in terms of how they, uh, how they receive and process information, as well as how they communicate externally, uh, stress triggers and responses, personality traits, how we've been influenced by mother and father, both genetically and in terms of our personal approach, uh, how how we, how we approach life. Yeah. Um, Life challenges will be mirrored in terms of the marks, colors, changes in, you know, angle or or lines in different parts of the face. And the face is then also a a map of the ears. That's why EAR is. Um, Although the ears are actually relevant as well in terms of telling us about the first 14 years of life. So there's so much information revealed in static facial features. And then, as you say, I've done a lot of other study over the last. 40 years at this point particularly the area of body language i pay a lot of attention to people's voices as well not just what they say but how they say it okay. catches in the voice changes in pitch and rhythm and listening for what they're not saying or what they're qualifying
0: right okay well that's fascinating i mean I, it's so in depth i didn't realize you could tell so much from, just even from a picture as you
1: said yeah i have quite a number of clients who will send me a good photo, facial photo um and that's both that can be both in from the business the business world or even per, from people's personal lives mm-hmm. because like i know you i know you deal particularly with people's personal lives and not exclusively but but that's a big part of your focus yeah. and when we uh, when, when when we went into lockdown in ireland like we had a very strict lockdown i think the longest lockdown in europe and a lot of people found they were living in very close proximity to people they thought they knew and loved and realized yeah. uh, uh, we have issues here. Yeah. So what I did there, I, I mean, I wasn't looking for the work, but people came to me with it. Um, and I was very clear. I was not a relationship counselor or, or psychologist, but I was helping people with the communication patterns. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I'd arrange like a zoom call. They would send me photos of the, the the person or people they were having challenges with. And then I would talk about how to bridge the gaps because so often what we do is we we operate from our default setting right. rather rather than communicate the way the person we're dealing with needs to actually hear the information and process it,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely yeah i mean i and and you can tell i mean that i'm I'm fascinated by this <laughs> <laughs> I might even have to get drained in it to be honest, <laughs> we, we help me with with the work that I do, especially when I'm working with <laughs> um. I mean, you, you said that you can just tell, I mean, you said from the genetics, but you said you can tell from the first 14 years of someone's life around their ears, you said you can tell from the relationships they had with their parents. How how does that kind of manifest in, can you give examples of how that might manifest in people's faces?
1: Yeah, well, for example, if you look at, if you if you divide the face into two vertical halves, the person's right side, so when we're looking at each other like this, we're looking, mirror. we're seeing, you know, mirror images so we're seeing the reverse yeah. so um so my right side for example my right side reveals the the, the influence of my mother and the genetic genetically and otherwise and the left is the father's the father's side and then there's obviously there's the merge between the two so that that makes us the individual we are okay. um so we can look at like the 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 ears then tell about the grandparents and their their relationship with each other, as well as their influences, the influences they've passed on genetically and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's just so much information there. So things like things like the outer rim of the ear, here, for example, is the is called the the helix, and if that is very thick and well formed, it's it, it's an indication that the grandmother had a was was a, like a strong strong healthy individual. Where if it's particularly thin. It indicates she she lived a life of struggle right okay and and as we know in terms of our personal development child development all the you know all of that side of life um those influences permeate right through our our being and our, our experience of life
0: definitely wow oh, that's amazing um so you use this now in So originally you got into this, which, like you said, you weren't intending to use this at all for kind of working with people in that space. How's that developed then? And what do you do now to help people um, to use it? And you've also, like you said in, in, I said in the introduction, you've got some other skills that you've kind of used, sort of FBI techniques and stuff. I'd like to learn a bit about that too.
1: Yeah, well, I, there's never been a master plan in terms of my life. Um, I I was a like I was a, I worked as a holistic therapist for like thirty years. I trained in a number of different modalities, so I was always observing, mm. listening, paying attention. Um, so I was reading people. Like I I just countless opportunities to read people, and then at a certain point, my body said enough. Yeah. Can't be, de- can't be dealing with all this stress right. so, uh, so, so so i moved
0: on other people's stuff on at the same time
1: yeah because well, um some of what i some of what i was doing a lot of what i was doing was hands-on and oh. when i would put my hand on somebody i would know what was really going on with them they may have made an appointment for a back problem or migraine or whatever it was but when i put my hands on them their body would tell me oh this is really the issue here. And so often it was emotional, psychological. And then there was my own life stuff that I hadn't dealt with. Um, Like I'm a guy, so I can handle all this, all that, all that stuff. So my body just reached a point where it said, no enough. And then I had to move sideways. Um, So I was, I, I'd I'd already started with business networking at that stage. And I started talking with business coaches and, and advisors and trainers and so I just developed a a whole new model. I knew people in the U.S. had been using reading faces in, in the corporate world, in the legal world. So I looked at what they were doing and started to build something there. And mm-hmm. that has evolved because I thought initially I'd be working with HR people, uh, helping with recruitment. I did a small amount of that, but really the areas I'm primarily working in now are I'm helping with sales, um, communication and sales, and I'm helping with negotiation not so much the strategic side of negotiation but the behavioral side because so often people don't realize the the role emotions feelings and behavior play hmm. in negotiation even at a very very high level
0: right okay uh,
1: yeah i mean i was talking i was talking with um somebody in the us there recently he was he was like well versed in dealing with like business at a very high level where you're talking about like hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay. And he, he told me um, a, a, a story where he, he was involved in a negotiation, actually on behalf of somebody else. Uh, I don't know the background. I, guess, I I just didn't ask about it, but he said he went into the, he went into the, the, the building. It was a, like a boardroom setting. The, the CEO of the business was standing there, a big, big, bulky individual standing at the table. He had 12 of his people around the other side of the table Mm. my guy went in by himself the the introduction was f you I don't f and like you I don't know what the f you're doing here why don't you f off there was no handshake no hello so that was the introduction <laughs> That's a lovely and, yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely amazing. yeah indeed and mm. the and the, the like the presence of the 12 guys who were they were they were there to add to the intimidation and they were there to leap to the guy's commands kind of thing um but That's not an altogether unusual scenario. So that's something I I learned a long time ago, that even people who are massively successful at a business level have all sorts of insecurities. Mm -hmm. And those insecurities so often come into play in preparing for a negotiation, during the negotiation, and then afterwards they're so often absolutely exhausted or such a like pounding headache because they're just wiped out from the stress of it right. and they've often made bad decisions
0: right again yeah, i think it's interesting i was speaking to someone a little while ago about being driven to the top of business uh, and the amount of narcissistic traits that come across and now you you know from the stuff i've done on narcissism we all know narcissism comes from a very insecure space mm-hmm. um so again i guess that like you said, to, to need that power play shows that they're coming from a very insecure space to start with. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and it's but it's it it's being able to it's being able to deal with that on its merits mm. and deal with that appropriately. Because some people will feel completely intimidated and they will shut down. Some people will respond with aggression, which and neither of those approaches yeah. are beneficial.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Again, it's about kind of letting it wash over you a little bit, I guess, and just being yourself and knowing what your plan is and sticking to yeah. it as so you possibly can.
1: Yeah, but, but but staying calm inside. Yeah. And I not just that. wearing the mask.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the <laughs> thing, isn't it? You can't. Yeah, And you, you kind of work with people in order to get them to help them to maintain that space within them.
1: Yeah, and read, and read the room in real time. Right, okay. So
0: they know exactly what's really going on. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's amazing it's amazing how how you can do that by helping people just to read others I mean I, I mean, I mean it would be great wasn't it it wouldn't it be if we could all read other people <laughs> and took the time out uh, and didn't feel that we needed to be in our own space maybe defensive space a lot of the time when we do into confrontation um, discussion negotiation and all those types of things I, I'm a qualified mediator myself and it's very interesting again as a therapist going into mediation with the empathy and everything and understanding and trying to maybe look for a deeper a deeper space okay what's really going on within these relationships that mean they're not functioning properly but it like you say it's generally someone's insecurities are are playing out and they're not they're not seeing the other person's view or entertaining their space at all because of their own things that they're trying to hold on to
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you know, people are endlessly fascinating, and one of the things like we we tend to think because we've said something, that's communication, mm. but it's 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 not. In in many cases, it's just noise. Like one of one of my favorite quotes is George Bernard Shaw, where the greatest illusion about communication is that it has happened.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And the fact that we've that we're technically speaking the same language does not mean we're speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I help people with is recognize how the person you're speaking to actually processes information, mm-hmm. whether they're, whether they're more linear thinker, more, more abstract thinker, creative, whether they need like bullet points, whether they need, whether they need you to speak really fast, speak more slowly, mm-hmm. give them, you know, give them lots of information and make it strictly factual, all those things. And you can, you can tell that from the, like from the visuals.
0: Yeah, uh, again, that fascinates me too. That, that you can tell someone's kind of listening style, learning style, um, just from looking at them, and, and and that's taken. I mean, how long did it take you to hone that down, that skill down? Do you think?
1: It's it's always ongoing. That's the that's the thing. Like I I'm I I know I'm very skilled at it, um, but I'm always looking to get better. Mm -hmm. improve be more attuned Mm -hmm. because there's always there's always more things to learn and it's always it's a and it's a challenge to me also to make sure I'm on form and I'm I'm taking care of myself Mm -hmm. so that I'm 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 in physical mental and emotional state to hear and and observe what's really going on what's really important
0: yeah yeah no that's that's the key to any kind of working with other people at that kind of level, isn't it? You need to be clear and, and calm and healthy in your yeah. own space. Uh, and then, let's maybe then go back to what you said about the empathy uh, or to be able to read people. I mean, I, I threw empathy in as there a word. Yeah. But Big word know, though. At yeah. a very early age, you were able to to um, sort of gauge people and what was going on for them. Was that something you noticed was that like a skill you noticed from looking at them, or was this a feeling? I mean, I know that I developed my sense of empathy because I was a I was a people pleaser as a kid. So I needed to gauge the atmosphere in the house, what was going on with my parents, what was going on in other areas, so that I could I adapted to to that. And that's where my sense of empathy came from, that I became very hyper-vigilant of people's emotions. Um with yours what was the, and i want to come back to that point you made about men being simple creatures as well um <laughs> tell me a bit about kind of your development in that space do you understand where that kind of came from for yeah. you
1: yeah absolutely well the, fir- the first thing is we all we all have these skills mm-hmm. we just don't realize we have it like as a as a species we have only had verbal language for somewhere between one hundred and fifty thousand two hundred thousand years in terms of an individual life that sounds like a long time but in terms of our our whole our whole species. It's a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. So prior to that, our ancestors basically survived by being able to read people. They needed to be able to read faces, facial expressions, body language. If they saw, if they saw a newcomer in the distance, they had to know almost instantly whether they were a friend or foe. Right. So this is stuff, this stuff is all hardwired into us. Mm-hmm. But we've been conditioned out of it. Okay. So that's that's the first thing. That's that's the general thing. Yeah. The second, this the second thing. I like from as far back as I can remember, I I just intuitively knew stuff. I don't know where it actually came from, but I did. Like I lost a lot of my self confidence somewhere, sort of six or seven years of age. Um, Those like my my mother's parents both died within a very short period of time. My grandfather died in our house. He'd been there. Like he he turned senile. He was there living in 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 our front room for i don't know how many months so there was a like there was a 24-hour rota of my between my mother and my aunt my aunt and uncles so and and i um i don't know how it was whether it was related or not but i i had um severe problems with tonsillitis adenoids I, i recurring ear abscesses okay. so like it it probably was related but i don't i, I can't be sure but i i, I lost my self-confidence right. so so i became an observer so that allowed me to really hone the skills even though i didn't realize that's what i was doing it's only in retrospect i could see that
0: yeah yeah okay so you does sound like a very emotive space that you were growing up in at that time
1: yeah, and like there wasn't the the family I grew up in. There wasn't real emotional expression. Okay, a lot of it was very suppressed in so many ways. There wasn't like I, I I'm, I'm I'm fortunate, unlike so many people who did grow up in houses where there was a lot of violence or alcohol or whatever. I didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. It was a very quiet house, but it wasn't. There just wasn't much emotional expression, right. and I was I was. I've always been a passionate individual, so it was like there was just a lid that placed on me. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you think then that that observation was you then seeking some connection out there? Because if you're if you wanted to connect to the people that were maybe emotional, that there was something about you looking for cues and stuff about what when it was safe for you to be open,
1: emotional, and and with these people in a different way. I don't think it was so much that. I think it was more that um, the world didn't make sense to me. Right. the world period didn't make sense to me like like i said i was reading people and i could see and it was probably even before i had anything like the language to express it or to articulate it but i could see that so often people were presenting an image but the image didn't match who they really were right. and like i was brought up to be i was brought up to be honest and i could see it wasn't that people were dishonest in terms of in any in any malevolent way Mm -hmm. but i could see that there was a lack of honesty in how they were how they were presenting themselves in the world and it just didn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. so i was looking for i guess i was looking for a world that made sense really right yeah Yeah. and you're kind of making sense of it for
0: yourself by kind of observing what was going on yeah yeah and, and that's, that's fascinating is what you said again about this this is inherent in all of us this I was talking to someone else about this about smells the other day as well um, about how probably we've lost that sense of understanding maybe something about people by the smell that they might be giving off and stuff like that and mm. it's we, we could do with some more animal instincts sometimes being honed in order to understand other people as well but yeah, it's in. It is in. Really interesting, isn't it? That that is how we developed as a species, but it's not something that we, that we, we are aware of in ourselves nowadays.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and um, yeah, interesting. Like uh, smell is one of the areas that can play a role diagnostically in Chinese medicine.
0: Okay. Oh, so they they don't, they haven't let that go. <laughs> they, they they're still on top of that. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I like what you said earlier on about when you were a holistic healer. I mean, you were in very intuitive in, in just by being you know, able to fit, feel. So do you know, understand where that kind of skill for you came from that, like you said, just by placing your hands on people that you're able to tell where their kind of deeper kind of issues were coming from?
1: I think it's just something innate, but it was also, I did a lot of meditation over, over many years, and I think it was also an ability to remove myself, get myself out of the way. Right, will allow the information to present itself, mm. rather than me assuming anything. Okay, so you were
0: very in tune with that person, and and it enabled you to to pick up on what what was really going on for them at the time. Yeah. And you said it's quite interesting. It's easy, quite easy to understand people. And I think, you know, and a lot of the stuff that I talk about and people that come on and even with the sort of the work that I do, there's a, there's a complexity within relationships, but actually it can be quite simple.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, as we know, there are so many... I got I don't know how many thousands of books written about you know from like Freud onwards about the human condition and where it mm. comes from and why people behave etc cetera, etc, cetera. but in essence in essence we are fairly simple creatures and we all we all want to be loved. Mm. So you can delve into the reasons why people don't feel loved or why they aren't loved, Um, but one of the things we so often forget and certainly has been my own personal experience through much of my life. We often, we forget that we're actually here now that whatever happened to us or didn't happen that may have influenced us to date, isn't actually happening now Mm. unless we choose to allow it to.
0: Yeah. And that's a great point. That's a great point because we carry all of that stuff, don't we? And it just manifests when we're in similar situations or, if we're choosing to put ourselves into those head spaces and emotional yeah. spaces when when it, certain things happen, or we keep ourselves avoidant or whatever it might be because of the past experience we've had, and we we don't live in the present very often.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's that there's that I can't remember the exact wording of the you know the Viktor Frankl quote about that like that there's that little bit of space between thought and reaction. Mm. Where if we just rather than react as we would instinctively or habitually, habitually is a better word, as we would habitually do, if we just take a breath, is that what I really think, feel, believe now? Yeah, yeah. Is this, is that what I want from this situation? Yeah.
0: And again, that, that's that's the the tough bit in some cases, isn't it? Is to be able to sit and go, what is this really about for me? What is this really? What is really going on?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's not. One of the things I've largely let go of, I won't assume I've completely let go of otherwise so life will probably show me otherwise, but <laughs> yeah. you reached enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, indeed. The um is the, the need to be right. I've less and less need to be right. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be curious. It's far more rewarding.
0: Yeah, that's a great word, curious, isn't it? When we're curious, we're yeah. we're open up to lots of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we learn so much more about ourselves and about life.
1: Mm.
0: And and the remark about us being simple creatures—that's about it. Was that about the kind of the being loved? Because there's a lot of uh, I go I go on a lot about connection. You know, we like you like you said, we we want to be loved. We are a connected species. Yeah. We we've lived in groups for since our since we've evolved as human beings. And and without connection, we are a bit lost. Um, yeah. And without the right connection, we we are we can create it can create lots of problems for us.
1: Yeah, like the reality is, none of us would be here unless our ancestors had found a way to get on together, to collaborate, mm. to you know, to 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 come together, and ho- hopefully, many of them will have come together in a loving way, and you know, transmitted that into our genes. Mm. But, but we all have that. We all have that basic need. Mm. I was
0: watching a, a video a couple of weeks ago. It was a, it was about the human condition um some australian psychologist i think it was psychiatrist and he was saying actually innately we are loving caring human beings and it's it's the fear the insecurities and stuff that make us aggressive that make us want to walk go to war makes want to do all sorts of things but actually innately we are very loving and caring and it's This ability, this consciousness moving away from just work, living in an instinctive place to then becoming a more cognitively mindful space that's create that creates our problems, because we're trying to make sense of we we are, I I say we're emotional, we are emotional beings that think. (laughs) Yeah. yeah and and coming to terms with this thought process i think it it creates a lot of problems doesn't it because it, what you were saying earlier on we react in these places because we are reacting on a thought that we're having and actually that thought might not necessarily be
1: real yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah and uh, like a, a a good friend of mine would be my mentor he 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 often talks about the sentences we speak and that's a, that's a multi-layered sentence in itself mm
0: yeah and that whether that's sort of self-talk or whether that's kind of outside so what you what did they what did he mean by that
1: well it can it can mean either yeah right. it can mean either but it's it's also sentence as in prison sentence ah okay and how we confine ourselves yeah by by how we speak to ourselves or from ourselves yeah interesting very interesting
0: Oh, well, maybe we could, we could set up another talk one day and we could do a live face read as well. Just... Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it would be interesting <laughs> to find out about myself that I've done things I'd, I have no idea about. <laughs> I'm constantly on this self-journey of exploration and, and for someone to be able to point out things that I'm completely unaware of, I'm, I'm always open to that. Yeah. Um, what about yourself and your, and your kind of experiences of relationships? How significant
1: have they been to you in, in your life? Yeah, um, I, growing up my, like I said, I didn't, I, I lost my confidence at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And really it was playing football that kept me going, that kept any semblance of sanity. Right, okay. <laughs> so um, like I had, I had, I, I had my mates, I was reasonably good at football. And when I say football, that's soccer, but also Irish football, Gaelic football. Okay. So I was usually on or around school teams So, um, that, that was a, like, that was the focus for me. And I, and I had a particular group of mates who I hung out, hung out with, but in terms of, in terms of like real social skills, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't know how to really talk to people. I certainly didn't know how to talk to girls. So I didn't actually have my first girlfriend until I was probably 21, something like that, 22, maybe something like that. Um, I did make up for it after that. Um, <laughs> um, I was then. I was then later married for twenty years. Um, met a met a met a German lady in London, and we were studying the same place. And then we moved to Hamburg, which to to work in a a center which was like a smaller version of where we studied in London. Right. So we we were together for twenty years. Three children now, now all adults. My. My youngest will be 31 next Wednesday, which was a bit of a shock. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so that we were 20 years together then, um, for a number of reasons. It, it really, it really wasn't was It just didn't work for several years, really. Before before, no. uh, actually, I I ended the relationship. Yeah. Then I was in another relationship for 10 years later. Um, and that that ended that one wasn't my choice, right. and and now I've I've been in a, a relationship for the last couple of years with a, a beautiful Chinese lady. Mm-hmm.
0: As so, you understand, where you where you got your confidence from? You said like you started dating 21, 22, and you sort of then were able to kind of find the confidence there to to do a bit more of that dating stuff. Um, yeah, do you understand what? So you you mentioned the story of your you're looking after your grandfather and and losing the grandparents um and losing your maybe your sense of kind of confidence do you understand how you got that back Do you recognize what was missing that and then enabled you to to sort of find rediscover that yeah it
1: was a gradual process and um i think part of it was leaving ireland i i the the company i was working with um closed down i was made redundant i so i was i got redundancy money and i did something i wanted to do for a number of years which was go to israel spend time on the kibbutz And going to going to you know going to israel and more most specifically being on the kibbutz i was in a place it was like i was in it was in the jordan valley and, and the, the color around me was just astounding and i came from what I would regard as a very monocultural and monochrome society where and we were, we were like, we were already heading into another, another uh, de- uh, recession, depression, whatever you want to call it right. uh, when I left. Right. So I went into this colorful place, like just like every, every morning and every evening, the sun, sunrise and sunset would look different. The colors, were just extraordinary, yeah. and then meeting people from so many different countries and cultures and backgrounds. Yeah. it was like being it was like the world just suddenly opened up to me. Okay, and even though it was like a microcosm because we were in a small community, yeah. I was interacting with with people I would never have had an opportunity to meet otherwise. So again, it started there, and it's been a, in many cases it's been an ongoing gradual process since then, and there's always more layers to it.
0: And that that really brought you out of yourself and helped you to understand this what life well, sort of, a different lifestyle you could
1: live yeah, absolutely, absolutely and like i said there's a, there's never been a master plan mm. a lot of i've I've been massively influenced by Taoism over the years, okay. and a lot of that has been about being in flow, so what is the opportunity that presents now, and what are the choices I make and sometimes sometimes I've made choices which weren't great mm. or that weren't. Because I, I carried my own fears and my own issues. But it's it's the recognition that again, what we what has or hasn't happened to us is not happening now. Hmm. And increasingly I've been I've just really, really understood that hmm. and increasingly living it. Yeah. That when something comes up from that might have been from the past, a habit or a behavior, an attitude, whatever, that it's oh, that's interesting. But hmm it's not relevant now
0: yeah yeah how, how do you think that works w- with relationships that you have nowadays because i know i get <laughs> don't counsel me don't coach me don't <laughs> but I'll stop being a coach or stop stop yeah. being so whatever it is um do, do you find that people are open to this uh this 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 person in front of them that's like okay we need to be present we need to be figuring out what's really going on because some people just want to hammer the now
1: sometimes don't they yeah um well there's the personal relationships the personal and social relationships and there's the professional relationships so the personal and social ones i spend a lot more time listening than talking mm-hmm. just giving people space yeah. because the one thing i have learned is that it's a it's such a primary human need to feel heard and feel is the operative word mm-hmm. and when people feel heard it just takes so much strain and stress out of them internally, as much as you can often see them go, almost going, right. and you can feel the defenses going down. Yeah. But also, I, 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 I wasn't something I was looking for. But so often people will say, will tell you how interesting you are because you've listened to them and even said almost nothing. Yeah, and that somehow makes you much more interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's one thing and then, in the business side, um I've become much more I do a lot of I've, I've done a lot of networking over the last fifteen, sixteen years or whatever, but I've become a lot more discerning about it, and more and more the relationships I've been building and paying attention to are people are have become friendships as well. Right. So where it's people more and more willing to show up in a way that's real and talk about their lives as well as the business side. Mm-hmm. so people just people just opening themselves, and I've noticed that particularly since we've gone online, okay, what what difference do you think that's made? I don't know whether I can, like I'm not a psychologist, but it appears that people certainly a lot of the people I meet feel more open i I and and many of them i I can't say more open than they were because I didn't meet them beforehand, mm-hmm. but yeah. many of the people i've i've been I've met over the last two and a half three years are certainly having very open conversations okay and that's and that's almost been from as the americans would say from the get-go
0: right so the kind of being online and not being maybe the energy or something or somebody else is giving them gives them permission to to be more open and express themselves
1: yeah, and it depends. It's obviously different whether you're in a group or whether you're in a, or whether it's a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can depend on the facilitator as well. Like some facilitators are particularly skilled at involving people, drawing them out and, and being very real themselves, mm-hmm. where some, some it's much more distant. Mm. They're holding themselves back. And it's it's almost keeping things at a... I'll, I'll just use the term academic level, even though it, it, the topic may not be particularly academic, but they're keeping it within very strict confines. Mm. Um, and interestingly, it's like some of the research I've, I've read about people's experiences in like Zoom rooms and team meetings and all of that mm. um, is so many people report, aside from the Zoom fatigue bit, so many people report that they feel the people they're looking at on screen are much more successful or better looking than them. So it's bringing out a lot of sense of inferiority in people. But the other one, the other one I found particularly interesting was the number of people who who say that they, they feel a sense of aggression when they're in the room because they it's because we're not accustomed to seeing so many faces facing us at one time. So it's almost like feeling threatened. I haven't experienced that myself, but, it's it, it it has been uh yeah the research has been reported
0: well wow. yeah no i can imagine that that's something that wouldn't cross my mind because i just look at like celebrity squares so i don't even remember the old tv yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. just lots of different people and i don't feel threatened because i guess maybe if i had 50 people maybe looking at me in a room that would be a little bit more uh nerve-wracking i would imagine but yeah that's interesting i guess that would happen with some people wouldn't it when you're you feel even though you they're probably not all looking at you unless maybe you're in the spotlight of the of the screen to speak at that time
1: yeah absolutely but absolutely yeah. yeah well it's interesting like you mentioned about the idea of 50 people in a room um to me that's playtime you know, <laughs> like sure, I know, yeah. you know I know I know for like I know for a lot of people fear of public speaking is one of the is, is, is actually the number one fear and I love mm-hmm. the you know the Jerry Seinfeld South Jerry Seinfeld line where he talks about the 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 number one and two fears, but one is public speaking and two is the fear of death. And he said that the people giving the eulogy at the funeral are often in a worse place <laughs> than the people in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, most definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can, I think That's gonna be a difficult place, isn't it? If you've got yeah. both of those fears. Um yeah. Um yeah, it's it is yeah, like you said, there's you're like you like your line there, they see 50 people in a room is playtime for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it is it a constant thing that you find? Do you find it difficult to switch off? To, because you, are you always? I mean, I I get accused of this on several occasions. You know, you know, stop trying to figure me out type thing. But I can't. It's so hard to switch off, isn't it? That you, you're trying to. If you're fascinated by people, which I am, my natural instinct is to try and figure out what's going on for
1: somebody. Um, do you find it's difficult for yourself to switch off as well? I'm always observing, I guess, and picking up on information, but I'm, unless I'm there for a specific purpose, I'm not looking to analyze or rationalize it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm just letting it do whatever it needs to do yeah. without, without focusing on it. I'd rather focus on the person.
0: Yeah. I guess it's kind of just taking it on for your own personal reference type of thing. Yeah. 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 I, I would imagine that's probably what i thinking about. That's what I do as well. I don't vocalize the fact or, intently try and scrutinize anybody it's just about okay this this something subconsciously i guess is just registering with me uh constantly constantly yeah
1: Yeah, absolutely i I suppose one of the things i've learned to do over the years is actually smile a lot Mm. like my because my face is that bit more angular um if i'm looking if i'm very if my figures my facial features are static people can assume i'm angry Right. I've had that. I've had that. So I've learned to smile a lot in conversation, even when I'm not speaking. Okay. And it, it just helps to set people at ease. So they don't assume I'm Yeah. Trying to figure them out.
0: Right. Okay. So kind of your natural look is a little bit, it's um, I, I can't remember the phrase. There's so many different
1: phrases for those kind of phases, aren't there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's R- kind of resting. Rest, resting bitch face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's
0: definitely and a smile goes a long way, doesn't it? In, yeah. in most interactions, it's welcoming, inviting. It's it and it's it's a nice. It generally brings people into
1: to to your space in a much healthier way. Yeah, it tells them you're not a threat. Yeah, as long as it's a real smile and not a social smile. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: interesting. It's one of those things I learned many years ago. So when you look at people's photographs. Um, and then when they're smiling, and you look at their eyes, and you can see if there's a there's a mismatch between what the, the the smile and and actually what's really going on on their face.
1: Absolutely. And if you look at um if you look at a lot of celebrity features like mm-hmm. that, where where they're apparently smiling, ask yourself: Are both eyes smiling? Mm-hmm. And you'll often find you get a different. Like if you cover one side of the face and then cover the other, you'll often find. you're you're, you're sensing a different message from both eyes. Uh So, for example, the person's right side is their public persona. Their left side is their private persona. Okay. So you'll often find uh, celebrities, politicians, are practiced at appearing happy in public, but they're often very different in private.
0: Uh, I wonder if that's got anything to do with my my left eye slightly more closed than my right then, because I'm a little bit more...
1: Closed down it, in my
0: private life and more avoidant in, than better, I, am. <laughs> and I
1: Lie down on the couch there, John. <laughs> <laughs> that makes,
0: what is it? I call myself? Sometimes I'm a, uh, an introverted, I'm an ext- extroverted introvert. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Situational extrovert.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for your time today, Joe. It's been absolutely fascinating. If people wanted to reach out to get in touch, find out a bit more about you, do maybe even work with you, uh, how would they do that?
1: The best way to reach me is LinkedIn. Um, I do have a Facebook presence, but LinkedIn is definitely the best way to reach me. Okay.
0: And what's your, how would they find you on LinkedIn?
1: Uh, Joseph McGuire. That's M-C-G-U-I-R-E. Excellent. I'll put the uh, details for that
0: in the links for the show. Um, And before we finish, I'd just like people to um, leave the listeners with a like a words of wisdom or a favorite quote.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is a Zen quote. It says, life doesn't judge us, it mirrors how we are. Okay. And people, we don't tend to realize that how we're presenting before we speak is communicating volumes about who and how we are. And if we're not happy with the responses we're getting, it's telling us something about us, whether we like it or not. But we then have the the facility, the ability to change our behavior and how we present ourselves. Uh, that's a
0: yeah that's an amazing quote really isn't it? it's very simple but it's so again coming back to what we've we've touched on people just looking at themselves and saying okay what is what what am i doing that's manifesting my own outcomes type thing yeah so remember that people if you are getting some difficult uh responses from people who feel like you're being judged in certain spaces maybe before you start blaming someone else or looking for someone else for for answers. Just give a quick look at yourself and see if there's anything you could you could do to help yourself in that space. Um, thanks again. It's been absolutely fascinating talk to you. We could have another just talked for hours on on something like this, um, and maybe hopefully we can get you back to do a live read uh,
1: huh. just to uh, help uh, see how this what how this works in, in the action. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, no, it's been an absolute pleasure, John. Thank you so much. I'd be delighted to come back. Awesome. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks for your time. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.